the 2018 elections were 100% outsourced to three people operating in a garage. But why worry? Because you ain't heard the half of it? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's one reason. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It is not. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From the Pacifica Radio Network in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. Out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe for your listening convenience on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel. Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. We've got a lot to catch up on after two days of Democratic debate special coverage. There has been, as you may not be surprised to learn, a lot of non-debate news that was happening over the past uh, couple of days, which I will try to catch up on a bit, uh, particularly some voting news, some rather amazing voting news, if I say so myself that you will want to stay tuned in for in in some states that we have been covering closely. But since we got off air from our debate coverage on Thursday night and through today, there has been just a whole lot of political news out of Congress, specifically out of the U.S. House, much of it breaking right up until airtime today and none of it seemingly good news for either Trump or the Republican Party. So that'll probably make Desi Doyen very happy. Well, let's just say I'm I'm not surprised. It's about time. Well, I think it was um, during one of our shows last week uh, or so, <laughs> I lose all track of time, uh, with Heather Digby-Parton and the issue of Texas Republican Congressman Will Hurd came up. He is the only Republican to represent a border district on the southern border. And I mentioned uh, uh, to Heather, I think, I, that I didn't know how, lo- how much longer he could remain a, po- a Republican, given his opposition to Trump's policies on the border and his smart questioning of Robert Mueller during his testimony before the House Intelligence Committee. I suggested, I think, that he might, uh, you know, go the Justin Amash route and become an independent. But his testimony before the House Intelligence Committee 
was when Mueller actually warned that countries other than Russia, as well as Russia, but other countries as well, are attempting to manipulate our election system, quote, as we sit here, and will do so again in 2020. Many more companies, or not companies, many more countries are developing capability to replicate what the Russians had done. Is this, um, in your investigation, did you think that this was a single attempt by the Russians to get involved in our election, or did you find evidence to suggest they'll try to do this again? Oh, it wasn't a single attempt. Uh, they're doing it as we sit here. And they expect to do it uh, 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 during the, the next campaign. So that was a questioning of Robert Mueller by Republican, Texas Republican Will Hurd. And I noted that uh, he was, you know, likely the next one to take the Justin Amash route of quitting the Republican Party and becoming an independent, given that he was, you know, one of the very few, maybe even only, you know, Republicans during those seven hours of hearings with Robert Mueller to, you know, have ask legitimate questions. Well, it looks like I may have undershot with my prediction when I said that I didn't know how long he could remain a, a Republican. I guess I should have questioned how long he could remain a congressman at all. Shortly after we got off air yesterday, Heard tweeted, quote, I have made the decision to not seek reelection for the 23rd Congressional District of Texas in order to pursue opportunities outside the halls of Congress to solve problems at the nexus between technology and national security. Uh, and this is kind of stunning. San Antonio Congressman Will Hurd, according to the Dallas Morning News, the House's sole black Republican, shocked the political scene in both Texas and D.C. late on Thursday by announcing that he will not seek re-election next year in his sprawling border district. Hurd... A former CIA agent said that he wanted to pursue opportunities outside the halls of Congress. He said in a news release, it was never my intention to stay in Congress forever, but I will stay involved in politics to grow a Republican Party that looks like America. So he is not leaving the party. He's staying with the party. He's just leaving Congress but I guess hoping to reform the party from outside of Congress. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> no kidding. But he's not leaving right now. He's just not going to run for re-election in 2020. Well, the exit of Heard, who has been a sometimes critic of Donald Trump, according to the Morning News, carries deep political consequences. Heard is the third Texas Republican in the last week to announce his retirement at the end of this term. The third one, and I believe he's the sixth or seventh overall. I don't know. We'll check by the end of this show how many other uh, Republicans in Congress are, are, are quitting. They say this furthers the monumental turnover seen in recent years in the Texas congressional delegation. Hurd's announcement, however, stands out. He won re-election last year against Democrat Gina Ortiz-Jones by less than 1,000 votes. Now, she is running again this time around in 2020, and both Republicans and Democrats are expected to battle hard for a district that is more than 70% Hispanic and shares 820 miles of border with Mexico. 
Manny Garcia, the Texas Democratic Party's executive director, said in a news release that, quote, Texas is the biggest battleground state. Well, it certainly is with its 38 electoral votes and many who think that Texas could actually turn blue at some time in the near future. Whether that future is 2020 or not remains to be seen. Minnesota Congressman Tom Emmer, who is the chair of the National Republican Congressional Committee, the NRCC, that's the House uh, GOP's campaign arm, said uh, that this is a R plus one district and we will fight tooth and nail to ensure it remains in Republican hands in 2020. Heard had been elected three consecutive times, however, uh, first uh, beginning in 2014. And so this loss to the Republicans cannot be uh, overstated. He had uh, he was a Republican, a moderate Republican who was able to hang on to that seat just barely by the skin of his teeth in this last election, but had been able to hang on to it. And I would well, the fear is that it for Republicans that it will flip to Democratic hands next year. Heard served on the House Intel and Appropriations Committees which are prime postings reflecting his standing in the GOP. He had distinguished himself as a sometimes uh, dissenter of Trump. He derided Trump's idea for a border wall, saying that building a 30-foot wall from sea to shining sea is the most expensive and least efficient way to do border security. He also proposed a bill to provide a permanent fix for unauthorized immigrants who had come to the country as children. Uh, so-called dreamers, a a permanent fix for DACA. Heard's independent streak was not limited only to immigration. Uh, Last year, Heard, who, remember, he's a former CIA agent, he wrote an op-ed in the New York Times asserting that Trump is being manipulated by Russian President Vladimir Putin, a Republican saying this. And more recently, he used his uh, chance to question Mueller, Robert Mueller, Uh, to highlight uh, Russian meddling attempts as we played there. He's also often stuck out as the rare Republican willing to buck the GOP on key House votes, including a recent resolution that condemned Trump's racist tweets about four Democratic congresswomen of color. He uh, uh, voted for that. He said those, quote, those tweets are racist and xenophobic. He said, I go into communities that most Republicans don't show up in in order to take a conservative message. This makes it harder in order to take our ideas and our platform to communities that don't necessarily identify with the Republican Party. He again stressed that point in his retirement announcement, saying that every American should feel they have a home in our party. Well, good luck with that, future former Congressman Will Hurd. <laughs> Now, that means now that in this past week, 15 percent of female House Republicans have resigned because one of them resigned. Very (laughs) small. But, you know, but even worse, 100 percent of black House Republicans have now resigned from the U.S. House because Heard was the only one. And that means that uh, Senator Tim Scott is the only African-American in the Republican Party in Congress at all. That's it. Once Will Hurd leaves. Unbelievable. He's in the Senate, of course. Yes. Uh, Members of Congress from Texas who are not seeking reelection now include... Mike Conaway from the 11th District, Pete Olson from the 22nd District, Will Hurd, of course, from the 23rd District, and, well... 
until today, uh, John Ratcliffe from Texas's fourth congressional district, who would have resigned uh, once he was confirmed as director of national intelligence. But we've got some breaking news on that there as well, with the emphasis on Rat and Cliff, I think, in that story. <laughs> but uh, I should note Dave Wasserman of the Cook Political Report uh, tweeted, Texodus? After Olson and Heard, attention shifts to GOP reps Mike McCall in Texas 10, Kenny Marchant in Texas 24, and John Carter in Texas 31, who also won by the skin of their teeth in 2018. He adds, this could get out of hand for Republicans. Well, we'd hate to see that, wouldn't we? Especially Republicans in Texas and in a presidential election year of all times. But it does not look good for um, Texas Republicans and Republicans overall, if we can take anything from the number of them who are jumping ship at this point. But uh, as to uh, Radcliffe, like I said, like maybe a rat pushed off a cliff in this case Donald Trump on Friday abruptly dropped his plan to nominate John Ratcliffe the Republican congressman from Texas as the nation's top intelligence official the announcement was of course made on Twitter it came after questions about Radcliffe's qualifications and whether he had exaggerated his resume well lied on his resume, but New York Times is, you know, they don't like to use the L word, I guess. Oh, wait, wait, wait. So you're telling me that this John Ratcliffe guy maybe wasn't vetted first before the announcement was made? I know that's unlike Donald Trump, Uh, unlike the Trump administration to not vet these people first. But uh, Trump took to Twitter. He said, our great Republican Congressman John Ratcliffe is being treated very unfairly by the lamestream media pulling a Sarah Palin there. Rather than going through months of slander and libel, I explained to John how miserable it would be for him and his family to deal with these people. John has therefore decided to stay in Congress where he has done such an outstanding job representing the people of Texas and our country. I will be announcing my nomination for DNI shortly. Well, John Radcliffe was supposed to be the nominee, the nominee for DNI, and I love the way Trump uh, makes it seem like he was doing him a favor. I told him, you just don't want this job after he was the guy who named him for this job. Anyway, uh, he means uh, his his nomination for DNI. Well, he means his new nomination for director of national intelligence after his latest one went down in spectacular, embarrassing flames. Now, questions about Radcliffe's experience uh, have been dogging him since he was named for the post just five days ago. Oh, my goodness. That was only five yes, days ago? Yes, yes. That was uh, right after uh, Radcliffe's fierce questioning of former special counsel Robert Mueller last week. And that was, by the way, just last week. (laughs) And that was what clearly won him the job initially or won him the nomination of DNI after Trump had uh, just accepted the resignation of the Former, now former director of national intelligence, Dan Coats. At the same time, Trump had appointed Coats. Uh, as the nation's top spy to oversee all 17 U.S. 
intelligence agencies. But Coates had frequently contradicted Trump publicly. We can't have that. He cited Russia's ongoing attempts to interfere in our election system, Iran's compliance with the nuclear agreement that Trump had pulled out of, pulled out of and more. I think he was not a climate change denier, as I recall. No, I believe he, was not. he warned about the national security threat of climate change. So he had to go. Radcliffe had to come in. But, you know, because you can't have the president being embarrassed by someone who's constantly telling the truth about stuff with, you know, actual facts and evidence. Trump can't have that. So he pushed out Coates in favor of this Trump loyalist and tool, John Radcliffe. Uh, after he showed in those uh, Mueller hearings how he was willing to push uh, any of Trump's pet conspiracy theories. But the trouble was actually twofold here for Ratcliffe. One, the statute that created the DNI position after 9-11 states that the director shall have extensive intelligence experience. But Ratcliffe, as it turns out, has no intelligence experience uh, other than serving for about seven months on the Intelligence Committee. Uh, he also appears to have lied, yes, lied about his national security experience by claiming that he had taken on and jailed terrorists as a prosecutor. In reality, nobody can find any such evidence. So that's how the lamestream media is uh, treating Ratcliffe so unfairly, as Trump says, with slander and libel, at least if slander and libel now means, you know, evidence. Telling the truth. Demonstrable facts. So uh, once again, as you know, uh, Trump hires uh, only the very best people, and maybe one day he'll even figure out how to vet them. Uh, but uh, in, in the meantime, he's, you know, not embarrassed at all about his nonstop failures. Uh, but never mind the failures. What about the crimes that he has committed as president of the United States? There is some bad news for Donald Trump there as well in Congress today. A majority of House Democrats uh, now have called for an open for opening an impeachment inquiry into Donald Trump, despite Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's urging the caucus to focus their attention on congressional investigations and ongoing legal battles. You know, a lot of people would call an impeachment inquiry a congressional investigation. But in any any event, Congressman Salud Carbajal of California put the Democrats over the halfway mark on Friday, saying in a statement that Trump, quote, evaded truth, encouraged his staff to lie repeatedly to investigators and engaged in obstruction, adding, quote, that is criminal. So with Carbajal's announcement, 118 now out of the 235 House Democrats have now publicly called for opening an inquiry. That is a majority of the Democratic caucus in the House. More than two dozen Democrats have now voiced support for moving ahead with the impeachment process since uh, just in the past days since former special counsel Robert Mueller testified before the House Judiciary and Intelligence Committees last week. Yes, that was just over a week ago. I know it feels like months ago at the hearings. Mueller repeated his report's findings that his investigation into Trump and Russia did not exonerate the president. 
On the question of obstruction of justice, he found that Russia worked to try to help Trump's presidential campaign. And so just by way of reminder, just a short portion of what happened just over one week ago in Congress during Mueller's testimony. President has repeatedly claimed that your report found there was no obstruction and that it completely and totally exonerated him. But that is not what your report said, is it? Correct. That is not what the report said. So the report did not conclude that he did not commit obstruction of justice. Is that correct? That is correct. Now, in fact, your report expressly states that it does not exonerate the president. It does. Lies by Trump campaign officials and administration officials impeded your investigation. Uh, I would generally agree with that. And during the course of this Russian interference in the election, the Russians made outreach to the Trump campaign, did they not? Yeah, that occurred. In fact, the campaign welcomed the Russian help, did they not? Yes. And numerous times during the campaign, the president praised the releases of the Russian hacked emails through WikiLeaks. That, was, that did occur. From your testimony today, I gather that you believe that knowingly accepting foreign assistance during a presidential campaign is an unethical thing to do. And a crime. And a crime. And your investigation actually found, quote, multiple acts by the president that were capable of exerting undue influence over law enforcement investigations, including the Russian interference and obstruction investigations. Is that correct? Correct. I believe a reasonable person looking at these facts uh, could conclude that all three elements of the crime of obstruction justice have been met. And I'd like to ask you the reason, again, that you did not indict Donald Trump is because of OLC opinion stating that you cannot indict a sitting president, correct? Uh, that is correct. So, yeah, I just kind of wanted to reset that because our brains sort of went somewhere else over the past several days for the uh, Democratic debates. And I just kind of wanted to remind everybody where we were, where this story was uh, before we all sort of got uh, distracted with so many things, we were looking at Mueller, who after his uh, and by the way, Republican prosecutor and former FBI director Robert Mueller, after his two year investigation, finding evidence of multiple criminal impeachable violations of law, high crimes by the president of the United States while while he was serving as president of the United States. Despite growing calls for an impeachment inquiry, however, Speaker Pelosi has remained steadfast in recommending restraint. She said uh, just last week uh, at her, finally, her final weekly press conference before the House departed for its August recess that we will proceed when we have what we need to proceed, not one day sooner. Don't know if what she needs is a majority of Democrats in her own caucus who support it, but that is now what she has. Will that make a, a difference in uh, the interest in opening an impeachment inquiry? Well, that remains to be seen, and it may hinge on what members now hear from constituents now that they're back in their districts over the long summer recess. Hey, been to a town hall lately? Now, now might be a good time to go. Oh, now is an excellent time I to go. So. Your representatives would love to hear from yeah. you and see you in person. Especially if you believe in the rule of law, accountability, the idea that the impeachment clause of the Constitution actually still means something. Because, as we have noted, if you do not 
impeach this president for these crimes, I cannot imagine what other president would ever be impeached for anything. Well, any other Republican president, that is, had Trump been a Democrat, of course, the Republicans would have indicted him for much less long, long ago. Uh, meantime, 11 committee chairs now in the House, including two who are leading investigations into the Trump administration, have announced their support for impeachment. House uh, Judiciary Chair Jerry Nadler, however, whose uh, committee has jurisdiction over impeachment, he's been more reserved about supporting the move. But privately, according to numerous reports, he would also like to begin an official inquiry in his committee, which uh, is where impeachment begins, if it begins. Nadler also voted, by the way, against tabling articles of impeachment that were filed a few weeks ago by Texas Congressman Al Green. He wanted that motion to be considered. So that may offer another indication that, yeah, Nadler supports impeachment, even if he has not come out and said so publicly yet. Nadler, the head of the Judiciary Committee, 16 of the 24 Democrats on the Judiciary Committee, that's a majority of the House Judiciary Committee, also publicly back an inquiry. So how much longer uh, can this be held off at this point? I don't know. Arguably, whether it's officially called an impeachment inquiry or not, or just an impeachment investigation, that may not matter. In federal court last Friday, the Judiciary Committee requested that uh, grand jury material from Mueller's investigation be turned over to them. They stated publicly for the first time that the panel is investigating whether to move ahead with impeachment. So this all just may be a, a syntactical thing. It seems like they may be moving forward with uh, an impeachment inquiry, whether they call it that or not. Uh, nonetheless, the court is not expected to rule on that, on the judiciary's request uh, for that grand jury material for at least two months. Nadler told reporters on Friday that what's going on is that I think too much has been made of the phrase impeachment inquiry. He said we are doing what our court filing says we're doing what I said we are doing, and that is that we are using our full Article One powers to investigate the conduct of the president and to consider what remedies there are. Well, part of those full Article One powers are impeachment. He now has the support of more than half of his caucus in the House and, by the way, at least one recently former Republican Michigan's Justin Amash, who recently became an independent. And who knows now that Will Hurd has announced he's retiring, that he will at least not be running next year. I would not be altogether surprised if he, too, came out publicly in support of an impeachment inquiry in the days ahead. But we'll see. All right. So all in all, not a good day for Donald Trump or for Republicans in Congress as they head off to their long summer recess, but it should give them uh, you know, plenty to think about and to hear about from their constituents back home over the next few weeks. Have a nice summer vacation, guys. Uh, let's take a quick break here. We will come back with some updates, uh, some kind of amazing updates, frankly, on a couple of voting-related stories that we have been covering this past week in Georgia and in North Carolina, one of which includes a dirty joke about a cow and a woman, which believe it or not, may result in the state of North Carolina getting to vote on hand-marked paper ballots. I will explain straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. 
Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us out today. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. You know, that's a song about global warming. Who thought, who'd have thunk we'd uh, be able to find a second use for that song, Desi Doyen? It's kind of like recycling. Uh, yeah, there, there you go. Well said. Um, that's, of course, uh, Victoria Parks from our Columbus, Ohio affiliate WGRN 94.1, the Green Renaissance Network. Anyway, you'll see how this all works out. We had some uh, fascinating news just after we got off air on Tuesday. Uh, following my coverage that day of the fight in North Carolina that is underway right now to replace a third of the state's voting systems, the ones where some two and a half million North Carolinians are forced to cast 100 percent unverifiable votes on old, often failed, easily hackable touchscreen voting computers. There, the hope is that those will now be replaced in 2020 with hopefully hand-marked paper ballots that you know can actually be known to reflect the uh, intent of the voters. Well, on Tuesday, I shared a story that appeared to be good news for election integrity advocates on the ground in North Carolina. Uh, they have been fighting against the certification of new computer touchscreen ballot marking devices made by uh, ESNS, which is the nation's largest private voting machine company, uh, and currently, they are the only ones whose systems are certified for use in the state by the State Board of Elections. Right now, by statute, however, the current unverifiable ESNS touchscreens, the ones they currently use, that two and a half million are forced to vote on, those must be taken out of service by law by the end of the year. And so they've got to re be replaced with a new system in this very closely divided swing state where Barack Obama barely won by a few thousand votes in 2008. Mitt Romney barely won uh, by a few thousand votes in 2012. And then Donald Trump won it in 2016 at the very same time that the state elected a Democratic governor. So it's the swingiest of swing states. And what happens in North Carolina will have a big effect on the 2020 presidential uh, election. So here's what happened first. On Monday, the five-person state board of elections, comprised of three Democrats and two Republicans, they voted on a resolution for new certification language that would effectively bar the use of the only 
touchscreen computer system that has been proposed to replace the old ones. In fact, it's the one made by ES&S, their new system, which will cost millions and millions of dollars for an unverifiable, terrible system. But they voted three to two on a new resolution that clears the way for the counties to be able to select from only hand-marked paper ballot systems made by other companies. The vote was uh, three to two in favor of what would probably result in hand-marked paper ballots then for the entire state next year. That's good news. But I say probably because there are some loopholes in the language that I won't bother to get into now because as of Monday, at least uh, the election integrity folks saw this as very good news. Three to two in favor of disallowing ES&S's 100% unverifiable touchscreen ballot marking devices from being brought into the state with one of those votes that in that three to two uh, vote coming uh, from a Republican on the board. The other no vote came from the chair of the state board of elections in North Carolina, who happens to be a Democrat. Nonetheless, the folks who I consider to be the good guys here won three to two in the vote for this resolution on Monday. Yeah, and showing, by the way, how citizens on the ground in that location got in there and mm-hmm. got this change made. Right. By them physically going there and doing it. Getting it changed, at least so far, at least as of Monday. So on Tuesday, we reported the story and we broke the news on this show that the election integrity advocates victory there on the ground may have been short lived for one. uh, The official vote on that resolution would actually have to wait at least 15 days under state law before it could be officially adopted. So there would be a second vote on this in August. Uh, when the board was set to reconvene and make it official. But as we went to air, I have been in touch with folks on the ground there and learned that the Republican who voted in favor of this resolution had actually decided he had a change of heart. He claims that he misunderstood the resolution. He wanted to therefore change his mind and vote differently. We suspected at the time that it was due to strong-arming by ES&S, who has very powerful and thuggish lobbyists all across the country. They are in all 50 states, pretty much. Uh, And that this Republican guy probably had his arm twisted in some fashion to change his votes, his vote, since that one vote would have cost millions and millions of dollars to the terrible ES&S company. So another meeting was then scheduled just days later this week, by the State Board of Elections for Thursday so that there could be a revote so that this Republican dude could rescind his votes, his vote, and that would then therefore make the results three to two against the resolution, against hand-marked paper ballots and in favor of ES&S's 100% unverifiable touchscreen system for 200 and, or 2.5 million voters in North Carolina. Got it? That's our story up until now. An hour or so after we got off the air on Tuesday, another funny thing happened. Another funny only in North Carolina thing happened. This is from WRAL. State Board of Elections Chair Robert Cordell, the Democrat, remember, who voted against the resolution. He resigned on Tuesday night 
After he had opened a statewide conference for hundreds of election officials on Monday, it turns out, with a joke about cows and sex. His resignation was then effective immediately. Democratic Governor Roy Cooper immediately accepted it. Uh, his resignation, by the way, means that the board will have its fourth chair since early December. There has been all of this back and forth, all of this fighting in the state between state Republicans trying to undermine the Democratic governor and so forth. Uh, the governor in this case is the one who appoints the members of the board. Uh, local elections directors. Here's what happened. Local elections directors and board members from around the state, each county has its own board of elections, they all met this week uh, at a big conference in North Carolina, and Cordell, as the head of the state board of elections, he opened the meeting and he told a joke that ended by comparing a cow who refused to be impregnated to a woman. And many of the uh, officials at the meeting uh, are women, uh, and it didn't go over well, apparently. He didn't know that, he says, at the time, but in his resignation letter, uh, he apologized, but he said that he had not heard any complaints about the joke. He believed it got a, quote, big laugh. But then he said, I sincerely apologize to those who heard my joke at the elections conference on Monday and those who were affected by my words. The joke had been the talk of the conference, apparently. Wake County Board of Elections member Jerry Cohen, who could be named, by the way, as the new uh, chair of the State Board of Elections, he called it, quote, an extremely lengthy, dirty joke that was misogynistic and wildly inappropriate for a high-ranking state uh, official to tell to kick off a training session of 600 election officials and administrators. I would go even farther and say it's a bad joke to tell at any professional well, setting. Do you want to know what the joke is? Should I tell the joke? That's up to you. I would tell the, all right. Well, I'll tell the really quick version of it because it's actually it's a really long joke. Yeah, please don't. And so <laughs> tell I won't the tell whole the full thing. long version. <laughs> and it's not really that dirty, per se. It's just sort of off-color, sort of misogynistic, but it has to do with an Irish town who has a cow. Their cow stops giving milk. So they go to Wales to get a new cow. They come back with the cow. The new cow is great, given lots of milk. So they want to uh, continue this tradition and they want to find a bull to impregnate the cow so that the cow will, you know, have offspring and continue to give milk. They get a bull. They bring the bull. They put it in the pasture with the cow. But every time the bull approaches the cow, the cow moves away. So they don't. The people of the town don't know what to do. They go to the vet in town in the village who's supposed to be very wise. They explain the problem. The vet says, well, is this cow from Wales? And they hadn't told the vet that. And they go, that's amazing. How did you know? Yes, the cow is from Wales. How did you know that? And the vet says, well, my wife is from Wales. Yes. So... Moderately amusing joke, maybe. I don't know. Not appropriate for professional Why the hell would he be telling this? Situation. Right. Why is he even telling a joke like that? Totally inappropriate for a room of 600 election officials opening an election conference. So this led to his immediate impeachment. Now, what does this mean? Well, uh, as WRL. WRAL notes, um, this comes as the current board is mired in this back and forth over what sort of voting equipment to allow to allow uh, counties to purchase before the 2020 election. There had been that three to two vote on Monday 
uh, which would keep uh, one vendor's system from being, that's ES&S, from being sold in North Carolina. And that decision was going to be finalized again in mid-August. But then Tuesday morning, the board announced this fresh meeting for Thursday because the one Republican guy, David Black, had decided to flip his vote. So that would have made it three to two against this resolution. But the uh, Cordell, the Democrat, was also against this resolution. And now he's had to quit. He resigned that night, bringing the board to a deadlock of two to two again uh, with Democrats favoring machines that produce hand-marked paper ballots and Republicans open to other equipment. So that deadlock would mean that the new motion that was set for Thursday would fail, leaving Monday's decision in place to move the state towards hand-marked paper ballots. That's good news, ain't it? That's great news. Uh, and in fact, that's exactly what happened at the new meeting on Thursday uh, the Republican, David Black, flipped his vote, but with Cordell, who had originally voted also against it, now gone. That means the board is tied two to two. So the original vote stands, at least for now. I have been in touch with folks fighting against this uh, ballot marking device system on the ground in North Carolina. And now the fight is on to encourage Governor Cooper to appoint someone as the new chair of the State Board of Elections who will vote in favor of hand-marked paper ballots and in favor of this resolution next, I guess in August. August 23rd is now when the official vote will take place. If someone is appointed by then, and the board is therefore back to a, a five-member board, they'll be able to vote without being deadlocked on it. Uh, all of this is still very tenuous. We will see what happens. But yes, this may be a case where a sort of dirty joke about a cow and a woman could result in every voter in the state of North Carolina being able to vote on verifiable hand-marked paper ballots in the 2020 presidential election. Only in North Carolina, man. Gosh, I, mean, I hope so. I, well, but it's remarkable we'll when you think about it because North Carolina is what? The eighth, ninth, something most populous state. Yeah, big it state. It counts for electoral college votes. Yep. And I think it's really sad and telling that North Carolina almost was kept from getting hand-marked paper ballots because of one guy's dirty joke about a cow. Actually, uh, that one guy's dirty joke about a cow may be the reason why they do have hand-marked paper ballots, because otherwise, by now, it would have flipped. The exactly. vote would have gone back. Exactly. ES&S would have had approval to sell these machines, which, by the way, uh, cost hundreds of millions of dollars unnecessarily. More than hand-marked paper, hand -marked paper balances would. Yeah. And by the way, again, none of this would have happened at all if it hadn't been for citizens on the ground getting active and getting engaged and taking it to their officials. Speaking of which, on Monday of this past week, another story of note uh, that we broke with my guest, Marilyn Marks, director of the Coalition for Good Governance. You can download that uh, amazing uh, interview uh, from bradblog.com for free. Thanks again to those of you who support us by donating. Um, so Marilyn Marks, she is suing the state of Georgia to force them to move from 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems that are used across the entire state of Georgia, another swing state suing uh, in federal court to uh, force them to move to hand-marked paper ballots before 2020. She told us um, 
that last week during a hearing on the case in federal court, a state election official admitted on the stand that all of the programming for all of the state's voting machines and tabulators is carried out by three independent contractors. We think they are from ESNS, which runs all of the voting machines across the state. Three independent contractors working out of their homes or garages on unsecured Wi-Fi setups. That despite these outrageous requirements that were put in place by the state to even allow the coalition's uh, experts to look at just a part of the voting system for use in this case as part of the discovery process. So, yeah, as she told us, three guys in their garage with no oversight do all of the programming for all of Georgia's 100 percent unverifiable voting systems. As she told me, the uh, 2018 elections, the controversial 2018 elections in Georgia, where the secretary of state, Brian Kemp, was uh, said to have narrowly defeated Democrat Stacey Abrams to become the new governor, where a new Republican became the secretary of the became the new secretary of state. And uh, where about 120,000 votes disappeared entirely on those touchscreen systems in the lieutenant governor's race, uh, that all happened in 2018 because three people programmed every single voting machine with no oversight. Well, we broke that story on Monday, and now the UK's uh, Guardian. Uh, finally picked up this story. Jordan Wilkie there, who's been on this show, he added a few troubling details. He writes, private companies had near complete control over Georgia's elections for the 2018 midterms and posed a serious security risk, according to testimony and documents revealed during a federal court case challenging the constitutionality of Georgia's elections. The most maligned components of Georgia's election systems voting machines and online voter registration were almost entirely managed by private companies, prompting concerns from election security experts. Voting machine company uh, Election Systems and Software, Inc., that's ESNS, which has close connections with the Georgia Secretary of State's office and Governor Brian Kemp's staff, both Republicans. They had three staff in Georgia building electronic ballots out of their homes through the 2018 midterms. This introduced significant security concerns about both foreign actors attacking the election system with malware or about political insiders potentially introducing their own coding that could alter the results of an election without detection. David Cross, uh, one of the attorneys for the groups suing the state, said it's a shock to everyone that the vendor is actually building ballots for state elections that should not be happening. That should be at the state level because the state does not have any means of ensuring the necessary security protocol uh, 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 protocols of the vendor. Now, here's another. So we covered that aspect. Here's another aspect that I was not aware of. Uh, another company, PCC Technologies, which offers voter registration management. They hosted Georgia's online voter registration system on their own servers, and they were responsible for running the My Voter page, which gives voters uh, information about their ballots and their polling places, etc. And there were all kinds of problems with that, too, in 2018 in Georgia. In court, it was revealed that PCC Technologies 
was a major security concern for the Secretary of State's office and that the state was unable to audit the registration system because they were not contractually allowed to access PCC's servers. Now, the state itself could not oversee the process because the entire thing had been outsourced to this company. Now, maybe it was a very fine company and maybe their security was top notch. Maybe it was even better than uh, the VR systems company that handles voter registration in North Carolina and Florida and which the uh, Mueller report has found that uh, was actually in, uh, intruded upon by Russia during the 2016 election. Maybe PCC is, is much better. But uh, the contract for PCC uh, ended just last month for the server that uh, hosts all of Georgia's voter registration. And the Secretary of State's office, which runs the elections supposedly in Georgia, though they're all outsourced to these private companies, they're currently in the process of moving the voter registration back now to the Secretary of State's office, according to documents provided uh, during this trial by the uh, state's chief information officer, Merritt Beaver. But the state is continuing its contract with PCC to manage the voter registration system and the voter page, my voter page, even though it will be now under the auspices of the secretary of state. But Marilyn Marks is quoted in this article as saying this is the selling of a public election. The election vendor decides whether or not to mess with the election. Interestingly enough, she adds, Georgia wrote them a check to do it. She says, I'm not saying they exercised the option, but the state gave them that option. But there were additional revelations from PCC about this. Uh, apparently, the plaintiff spent, uh, you know, a, a year, tens of thousands of dollars on litigation uh, to try to look at some of these uh, systems, as I mentioned. The database turned out to be identical to the same databases that have been used around the country for 17 years, even though Georgia had said that, oh, ours are super secure and they're totally different from everybody else's. Well, uh, Beaver was also, uh, this is the person from the Secretary of State's office, was also shown to have provided misleading information to the court when he told the judge that penetration testing, this is where cybersecurity firms attempt to gain access to the, to the network security, when he told the judge that the penetration testing ensured the Secretary of State's computer systems were totally secure, but Beaver failed to mention to the judge that the testing actually failed and that the cybersecurity firm that was hired to do this penetration testing was actually able to take over the entire network and that that was only revealed when the state was forced to provide the security reports in this trial. So all of these private systems and this company, PCC Technology, was completely unsecure. They ran the voter registration system. And a second round of testing in November of 2018, just before the elections, after they had previously been able to take over the entire network, just before the last year's elections, the second round of testing showed there was some improvement, but many of the vulnerabilities that were identified a year before had not been fixed. 
This is what happens when we outsource our elections to these private companies, when the public is not allowed to oversee the way our elections are run. Here we are. Two, two year, what almost three years later since the 2016 election, and we have no idea whether the president of the United States was actually elected as president of the United States. Two years later, in 2018, we have no idea if the governor of Georgia is actually the governor of Georgia or the secretary of state or the lieutenant governor because our voting system has been entirely put up for grabs, put up for sale to the highest bidder. Sometimes, by the way, not even the highest bidder. Uh, just to whoever happens to be a friend of the Secretary of State or a friend of the governor or a friend of someone who's on the State Board of Elections. This is the mess that we're dealing with. This is what we talk about so often on this show because this stuff matters, or at least it should matter. It won't matter until we all start raising holy hell about it. Luckily, there are people doing that on the ground in Georgia, on the ground in North Carolina. But really, it needs to happen in all 50 states. Quick break, and we're back with a few more minutes of the broadcast. Don't know what we'll be covering, but I'll look forward to finding out along with you. Uh, right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Meanwhile, gliding through the seaweed, what strange things I see below. Cars are waiting, windshields wiping, nowhere left to go. Oh, the ice caps are melting. <laughs> ho, 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 ho. Tiny Tim. 1970. 1970. <clears throat> he was trying to warn us we should have listened, Desi Doyen. Oh, indeed. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Feeling kind of punchy, I guess, today. Uh, it's been a hell of a week. It has been indeed. And uh, yes, the ice caps are melting. Big time. And quickly. And now quicklier than ever before. This from Washington Post. Uh, Andrew Friedman and uh, Jay uh, Jason Same now. When one thinks of Greenland, images of an icebound, harsh, forbidding landscape probably come to mind. Not a landscape of ice pocked with melt ponds, streams transformed into raging rivers, and almost certainly not one that features wildfires. The uh, latter description, nonetheless, is exactly what Greenland looks like today, according to imagery on uh, social media, scientists on the ground, and data from satellites. An extraordinary melt event that began earlier this week has continued throughout the week on the Greenland ice sheet. There are signs that about 60% of the expansive ice cover has been detectable, has seen detectable surface melting including at the highest elevations that only rarely see temperatures climb above freezing. Well, guess what? They're climbing above freezing. 
July 31 was the biggest melt day since at least 2012, with about 60% of the ice sheet seeing at least one millimeter of melt at the surface. That doesn't sound like a lot, but that is more than 10 billion tons of ice lost to the ocean from surface melt, according to the data. Ruth Matram, a climate researcher with DMI, Danish Meteorological Institute, says the ice sheet sent 197 billion tons of water pouring into the Atlantic Ocean during the month of July. As a result of both surface melting and the lack of snow on the ice sheet this summer, this is the, quote, this is the year Greenland is contributing most to sea level rise, according to a climate scientist at uh, Columbia University. Uh, this all due to an expansive area of high pressure enveloping all of Greenland. It is the same weather system that brought extreme heat to Europe last week. Record temperatures to France. What was it? 109 degrees or something like that? Yes. In Paris. Temperatures in Greenland uh, this week have been running up to 15 to 30 degrees above average. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable, isn't it? I, this uh, is just amazing what is going on here. And while we are all busy doing other things, while we've got a president who is a climate change denier up at uh, 10,551 feet at Summit Station, they rarely see temperatures above freezing. Well, they were above freezing uh, this week at that height. Uh, this is highly unusual, says another uh, professor of geography, just like it was in 2012. And apparently the state of the art computer models have not been able to simulate events like this. So this hampers scientists ability to accurately predict the Greenland ice melt and therefore all future sea level rise because their computer models do not even account for this sort of thing happening. That's how off the charts what is going on right now in the Arctic is. Off the charts, our computers don't even model for it. Unfortunately, that's where we are. So that's where we are. Hope you'll have a delightful evening. Until we meet again, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, download it for free. Share it with your friends anytime from bradblog.com. And I thank those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help Desi and I and me stay on your public airwaves. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. The ice.